radicalizing them in school, teaching anti-white uh, racism in the terms. Uh, listen to the Tony Michaels podcast. <laughs> no, you don't. Nope. Get down. Beefy. Beefy, no. Thank you, Beefy. <laughs> Those Beefy chickens are pretty smart. Anyway, so uh, we're listening to Tony Michaels' podcast. This is thank you for a billion listeners. And uh, thank you for speaking the F up, America, and demanding that your Congress and your government invoke the 14th. Exercise your 14th Amendment, idiots. Hello. Exercise the 14th. What is the 14th Amendment? No fucking insurrectionist can serve in office. So do your fucking job as an American. Call all three branches of government, especially the do- the doge, as I affectionately call it. The Congress, 202-224-3121. And White House, 202-456-1111. And doge, 202-514-2000. In fact, maybe I should do that while podcasting. Need another phone. <laughs> okay, anyways, stupid cunt. Um, perjury Trader Green and Marcus Flowers. She should be not on the fucking stage. Period. Fucking cunt. Shouldn't be on the stage at all. Make a. She should be locked up with all the other goddamn insurrectionists in this country and not running for office. Okay, let's make a TikTok like that. Uh, I just made a pretty nice one with the ballad on it. Write me in, Edward Stoner. And it was retweeted by Cherokee Muslim. Indigenous Cherokee Muslim. Thank you, Indigenous Cherokee Muslim. And I just... uh, uh I just posted this morning about the man that we know as Christopher Columbus, which was a fake name. He was a Templar, Christ, the um, Templars of Christ. They changed the name because at that time Templars were actually uh, persecuted by the same... People put him in jail. Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand put him in jail for how long? Get it straight. Just uh, get your story straight. Um, they put him in jail for being so brutal. He was a fucking tyrant. He sliced people's ears and noses off if they didn't bring him enough gold. He decimated the population. It's Cuba. No wonder, it's it, it's all a cover up, man. It's all a cover up. He was born in Cuba, Portugal, and that's why it's named Cuba. It's named after his birth town. And um, he didn't even speak Italian. He's not from Genoa. He's from Cuba, Portugal. 
to and cannot vote. How do you stand there and represent the there? And do you believe in genital mutilation of children? And do you believe in genital mutilation? Puberty blockers that have severe health And puberty blockers. I should. Why? Why the fuck are they so obsessed? children's genitalia they're absolutely <laughs> fucking obsessed yeah with fucking it. perverts why why are you weirdos so fucking focused on what the hell is in someone's pants totally okay with him saying this they won't direct him they won't they won't condemn him they won't say whoa hey let's uh let's step back a bit here you're coming a little too hot with the anti-semitism what no, the hell is no wrong with you people when it comes to the republican party he Everyone just incited violence that against. Just, well, that's Trump, and that's what he does. He's going to say he's going to speak his mind, and that's why he's such a great candidate, and that's why he was such a great president. Bull fucking shit. Nobody should stand for this. Nobody should stand for the racism that comes out of this group. Nobody should stand for the bigotry, the anti Semitism. Nobody should stand for the misogyny. Nobody should stand for any of the vile things that the Republican Party comes out with, and that other Republicans go, oh, man. That's my party, because that's what they do. Not one Republican. Not I, I think I see, I think I seen Megan McCain. Megan McCain sent out a tweet. She's like, oh, I, I gotta I gotta get in front of this because they're gonna say no Republicans, and she's gonna want to be on the list of Republicans that condemn this. Yeah, here's the problem with any of those people that go, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm a Republican, but I'm not that kind of Republican. Right. If you're still in the Republican Party you're and you Republican. only have an issue with one small thing they did, one little bit of fascism. But you're okay with the rest you're part of the problem and you will get grouped into that group because you have not condemned and spoken out against any of the other things they've done taking away women's rights trying to trying to use uh, venezuelans as political pawns who are seeking uh uh who are, who are seeking um asylum right which by the way also fucking just went right back into ron DeSantis' face because now those people who were sent over to martha's vineyard have now been, get, been given a special visa because they were victims of his crime. So they're all, like, anytime they try to own the libs by being racist or bigoted or whatever it is, it comes back and it slaps them right in the fucking face. But no one, no one from the Republican Party actually speaks out. And if you've been okay with all the other things they've done, again, you're part of the problem. You are part of that Republican Party. That is your Republican Party. Unless you leave it, do some other shit and say, this is not what I'm doing. I want to go independent. I want to go Democrat, whatever it is. If you're still part of the party and you're voting down that ballot red and you don't speak out against the things that they do that are so terrible, you're that Republican Party. That is you. And that is Megan McCarthy or Megan McCain. Let me let me be clear about something. Because this is this both sides of this is dangerous. The shit that Kanye is saying is dangerous. The shit that is way more dangerous. Because again, I want to say this, and I said it. Dude is telling you who he is. His supporters are listening to him. They hear him. The most dangerous of the dangerous of these motherfucking Moglodites, the most delusional, are listening to him. And you should too. You should see the danger that is happening here. They're frothing at the mouth to oh, go yeah. fight for this cause. You should be willing to fight for the cause of democracy, equality, and equity, and to shut this fuck up. It is time we bury these fucks under mountains of votes. 
not just now, but in 2024. Now is the time, though. Now is the time. And this is the lead-up. This is the lead-up. This is the most important election right now. 22 days. We're just over three weeks away. For you to tell them to fuck off. That is what you can do here. Is you can engage in your democracy and tell them to fuck off. Right. I mean, so, remember, Trump Trump let these people out in terms of letting... he. Trump opened the closet and let the boogeyman out. And these people since 2015, 2016 have been like, oh, finally a guy who speaks the, his mind. Finally a guy who's as racist as I am. And it's okay because he's a candidate for the presidency and the Republican Party's okay with it. And he was elected and he, he was put into office and he continues to say that stuff. I can be racist. I can be bigoted. I can be, you know, any of these things that are against anyone who isn't white. Anyone who's not from this country. And because he made it okay, he doubles down, triples down, quadruples down on this type of stuff where he makes a post like this. And now those followers, like you said, they're listening. Right. And they go, great, fucking awesome. I can now go do hate crimes on people in the Jewish community. I can now go do this. I can now do that. Because you know what? Trump said American Jews are the problem. And they right. better own up. They better go learn. back to Israel is what he's saying. Um, speaking of crazy ass shit. Crazy ass shit. Again, I've been saying if these fucking people are weird weirdos, they are obsessed with your children's genitalia. I don't know why. I, it's got to be some, again, it's got to be health issues, mental health issues. But here's Marjorie Taylor Greene in the moment in the debate that I think is probably the most important when you want to shine a light on these fucking sickos is when she's talking about Marcus Flowers has said nothing. Nothing on the campaign trail. Mm-hmm. Nothing about what she's about to say. Listen. That party, the Democrat Party, is the party of child abuse. It's the party that represents grooming children and sexualizing them in school, teaching anti-white racism in the terms of CRT education, and genital mutilation of kids, kids that can't even get a driver's license, can't get a tattoo, and cannot vote. How do you stand there and represent the Democrat Party as a father? And do you believe in genital mutilation of children under the age of 18 and, and these puberty blockers that have severe health what in the why why the fuck are they so obsessed with children's genitalia they are absolutely fucking obsessed with it why why are you weirdos so fucking focused on what the hell is in someone's pants you are fucking weird it is weird shit that you guys are so fucking bent out of shape over what genitalia is in whose pants it is getting weirder and weirder for her to accuse, to, to put CRT, critical race theory, and genital mutilation all in the same shiv to send to Marcus Lowers. Right. Really fucking weird. It's gross. And it's not surprising that she is needs some mental health care again. Um, I want to show you another moment here. <laughs> when she's talking about, because uh, this just shows, this is Republican on brand. Uh, this question they ask is about what is she going to do for her constituents or what has she done for her constituents specifically? She's like, oh, I want to kill big government, government funding bad. So I went and got federal grants for cops because I like federal money, money, mm-hmm. federal money. Good. 
And your question for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, Ms. Green, since taking office on January 3rd, 2021, what is the one specific accomplishment solely on behalf of the 14th Congressional District that is most important to you? Well, I tell you what, it's been hard to pass any bills in a Democrat-controlled, Nancy Pelosi-controlled House of Representatives. A, 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 a... By the way, that's how our Congress works. Yeah, that's that, like that's how it works. When, when, when a party wins the majority in that House then they elect their leader, either mm-hmm. the majority leader in the Senate or the Speaker of the House in the House. Like that's, it's actually just, that's just how it works. Right. Senate that is controlled by one vote with Kamala Harris as the Democrat vice president. Also how it works. That's also how our constitution works. Like there's no, yep. it's not a fucking secret. If it's 50, 50, that's what the vice president is there for. That's why they are the fucking leader of the Senate. They preside over the Senate. They only get to vote. Well, not only, but most right. of the time, only vote in that instance where there is a tie. To yeah. not have a tie. It, that's also, just how it works. Also, she's in the House. She's not in the Senate. Right. So this argument of like, she's well, barely in the House, by the way. She's right. Yeah. In the I house. mean, she doesn't have any sort of. Yeah. It, 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 when when the question was, you know, what have you done, right, for your district, fourteen? as a representative in Congress. She brings up the Senate like, oh, well, okay, it's, it's, uh, they're controlled by, we're not controlled by the Democrats in the Senate. We we have a 52-48 split. And when we do go 50-50, then yes, the vice president, which is her role, comes in for the tiebreaker. And that's how it works. But also, again, we're not talking about the Senate. You're in the House. Do you even know where you are when you have your job, right? Like, do you, what, like, what is your job, your work? Like, why would you even bring up the Senate and try to blame some some other people on that on Capitol Hill? Then look at yourself and be like, well, in the House, let's only talk about the House right now, not the Senate. Like, don't 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 bring up someone else and be like, oh, it's their fault. You expect her not to blame someone else for her what what she does wrong? Okay, so she goes on here. This is this is one of the best parts. She goes on to tell us what she's done for her constituents. And a White House that is controlled by by Democrats. That's Joe Biden. Now, what we've done to accomplish things for Northwest Georgia is I'm proud to be able to bring in money via grants to help our local sheriff's department and help local businesses there. We- okay, so I don't know if she knows where grant money comes from. I'm not if she's really sure what. Um, there's a word, Gabe, that comes to mind. It starts with an S. Uh, they is like there- to say it a lot. There's is an there... ism on the end of it. Oh, an ism yeah, on the end of it. yeah, yeah. Um, so, I can't remember. So, yeah. Socialism. That's it. That's yeah. it. Maybe someone yeah. should go work, work, uh, look up the definition and post it in the chat here so everyone knows what socialism is. Holy fuck. This, this fucking She's such a moron. Such a moron. That she's like, the best thing that I've done for my constituents is socialism. Right. Not not only not only for public entities like police departments and sheriff departments, but private business. She's bragging. She's bragging about how she got socialist money for private business in her district. Well, all the motherfuckers that who voted against the infrastructure bill and are running around states with fucking checks taking credit. It's 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 socialism, right? They're okay with socialism as long as it benefits them. But as lo- as, as soon as a Democrat wants to do something, like mm-hmm. hey, we want to hear this one. So large 
larger majority of our country because that's how we work. Uh, they go, oh, look at these fascists trying to tell me how Say to, hi, like, Daddy. Say hi, Daddy. You know Say what socialism is? Do you know what fascism is? Do you know what communism is? Like, they have no fucking They idea. blend them all together, and then they, you know, they basically, like, swap out the words for when they want to use them and say, well, Democrats... Say hi, Daddy! Say hi, Daddy! Thank God that my baby is there. No one made you wear masks. But yeah. inside yourself, you chose yeah. to go to these places that required to wear masks during the pandemic, so you didn't well, you everyone mean, else say... You mean, you mean, like, private places? No, 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 no. Oh. I mean, I mean, I mean... They didn't stay in their house. <laughs> but you, you, you know what I mean? I mean, but you got to remember, you have private entities. Wait, wait, wait. Capitalism. You're, you're going to make us say the S's a word again. You're going to make us say the S's a word again. Socialism. They just don't understand it. She also doesn't understand how, like, um, uh, the internet works. Yeah. Like, she has no clue. She doesn't understand that once something's on the internet, it's always on the internet. Here is the moderator trying to get her to um, to admit that she doesn't, I don't know, check shit before she says it, if it's true or not. She has a history of doing this. It's very obvious. Why would she? <laughs> right. Well, What's funny is, is he really... Hey there, Arizona. I'm an award-winning teacher, student, scholar, public health researcher, and please write me in for Arizona Mine Inspector on your ballot for a Democrat to be thanking you. say anything because she knows it's the truth because she's done this before. Remember when she... Hi, Arizona. <clears throat> Hi there, Arizona. My name is Tristan. Please write me in for Arizona State Mine Inspector. Hi there, Arizona. My name is Trista. I'm running for Arizona State Mine Inspector. I'm an award-winning teacher, scholar, researcher, comedian. Write me in. Blue Wave. Hi there, my name is Trista and I'm running for Arizona State Mine Inspector. Please write me in where Democrats be on your ballots. On your November ballots. Write me in. Pass it on. Hi there, my name is Trista and I'm running for Arizona State Mine Inspector. Please write me in where Democrats be on your ballots. On your November ballots. Write me in. Pass it on. Hi there, my name is Trista. Instead, I'm running for Arizona. Where's the done? Eight mine inspector, please write me in where Democrats should be on your ballots, on your November ballots. Write me in. Pass it on. Hi there. Hi there, my name is Trista, and I'm running for Arizona State Mine Inspector. Please write me in where Democrats should be on your ballots, on your November ballots. Write me in. Pass it on. Hi there, my name is Trista and I'm running for Arizona State Mine yeah. Inspector. Please write me in where Democrats should be on your ballots. On your November ballots. Write me in. Pass it on. Hi there, my name is Trista and I'm running for Arizona State Mine Inspector. Please write me in where Democrats should be on your ballots. On your November ballots. Write me in. Pass it on. Hi there, my name is Trista and I'm running for Arizona State Mine Inspector. 
representative state mine it's better to please write me in we're democrats be on your ballots on your November ballots write me in pass it on Hi there, my name is Trista and I'm running for Arizona State. Mine, Inspector, please write me in where Democrats be on your ballots, on your November ballots. Write me in. Pass it on. Mm. For Arizona State, mine, Inspector, please write me in where Democrats be on your ballots, on your November ballots. Write me in. Pass it on. Hi there, my name is Trista and I'm running for Arizona State. Mine, Inspector, please write me in where Democrats be on your ballots, on your November ballots. Write me in. Pass it on. Hi there, my name is Trista and I'm running for Democrats, be on your ballots, on your November ballots. Write me in. Pass it on. I'm an award-winning teacher, scholar, public health researcher. Hi there, my name is Tristan. Right, so um, I'm copy and pasting. Um, Inspector.
Right, I'm almost there. Almost done. One hundred forty-seven million views are, are per mine inspector. Mine, hey, my no, no, for analytics. Okay, come on. Hi there, my name is Tristan, and I'm running for Arizona State Mine Inspector. Hi there, my name is Tristan, and I'm running for Arizona State Mine Inspector. Please write me in where Democrats be on your ballots, on your November ballots. Write me in. Pass it on. I'm an Oxford Berkeley award-winning scholar, journalist, teacher, and... How long has your teenager been an asshole? <laughs> I just put it on. I'm putting it on YouTube Shorts. Wave, wave, wave. Okay, so I did, was it Instagram? Did I do Facebook? I'll do Facebook. Um, and then I'll do a bit, uh, then I'll go back to um, Journey. Oh, did I um, turn off Tony Michaels? Oh, here we go. Mm. Sure. Do, do, 
so welcome back to Tristan Fagabonerita Show. And thanks for the billion listeners. KPYT. Haskarayaki. Tribal Radio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Arizona! Exclamation point. Wave, wave. forget to write me in exclamation points Trista AZ mine inspector Now let's get back on the trail, hot on the trail of Trump going to jail. Let's see what's going on on my YouTube feeds. Peter Baker, Susan Glasser, the Donald Trump White House years. Ooh. Oh yeah. Okay. Have to do a. Wow. Look at this. Have to do a re- review of this. Of just in case y'all were just born. It's important to an organization's success. And. Frankly, I have no idea. Bench Perro's live now. Sometimes you go there and crash his, his fucking bullshit echo chamber. And actually, I get the most hits when I do that. I'm gonna post something on Bench fucking It's a hotbed of Nazism. Nazism. Good afternoon and welcome to today's Commonwealth Peter Club. Peter Baker event. and Susan Glasser. My name is Adam Lashinsky. Commonwealth Club of California. I'm d- delighted to be back in person for the first time in three years. And welcome as well to our uh, to our online audience. Uh, before I introduce our guests, I want to tell people in the end that I will be taking your questions. Uh, you will be rewarded for penmanship. <laughs> the clearer you write, the more likely it is that I'll choose your questions and, uh, and, and be able to read them. And I'm looking forward to your questions even more than mine. It is my pleasure to introduce Peter Baker and Susan Glasser. Peter is the chief White House correspondent for the New York Times and a political analyst for MSNBC. Susan is a staff writer for The New Yorker and is global affairs analyst for CNN. And it is no secret that they're married to each other. I'm already following following Peter Baker. Baker. I think everyone is fascinated to know how that works. The the club hosted Peter and Susan virtually for their previous book, The Man Who Ran Washington, The Life and Times of James A. Baker III, and is pleased to have them in person this time around for their latest book, which launched today and is number, it was number nine this morning on the Amazon bestsellers list. I don't know where it is right this moment. The book is The Divider, Trump in the White House, 2017 to 2021. Peter and Susan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. 
to the two of them and let them adjudicate how to answer um they'll figure it out because they figured out so much already <laughs> working together let me ask you um to start uh we all know and think we know so much about donald trump uh what did you learn in re researching and writing this book that you didn't know before you wrote and researched it Good question. Yeah, good. Uh, you know, all the tough questions. All the tough questions, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, let me thank all of you for coming out in person, and, and you, Adam. This is actually not only the launch day for the book, but our very first uh, official book event for The Divider. So we're delighted to be to be sharing that day with you. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, this is not the first book that Peter and I have written together. Uh, and so our first book was about Vladimir Putin. Our second book was about Jim Baker, and our third subject is Donald Trump. So you can imagine, uh, you know, Jim Baker comes out pretty well <laughs> in, that, in that trifecta, right? Uh, you know, in a serious sense, Peter and I really felt strongly, especially, you know, sitting in our home in Washington, D.C., watching, as I'm sure the rest of you were watching on January 6th. 2021 uh, and, and seeing the capital of the United States under attack by Americans. No, by in fucking bearing Trump. Trump flags and in the name of Confederate a president flag. who refused to leave office peacefully, who wanted to overturn the election. And yeah, I know that we've all spent you know, the good day. part of the last 18 months kind of hashing over those events. But I think I was really struck, especially going back and thinking about what did we learn? How to frame this? Why do we Not do this? Not a whole book? lot of it. The historian anything. Michael Beschloss uh, that very afternoon made the observation around you know, that this moment was foreshadowed by every single minute of this presidency. And I think that Peter and I felt there was a real urgency to establish as much of the historical record as possible and that you could really understand. Uh, unfortunately, January 6th is this sort of the latest justice denied. Four-year Trump presidency, and you know, Peter and I have both uh, been in Washington for every presidency from Bill Clinton on down. We also wrote a book that covered the Reagan and Bush president, first Bush presidencies, and so I think we felt that to try to understand the disruption in the context of what is the real legacy to the presidency, and. You know, how can we reckon with this? We knew there was more to be learned. We conducted about 300 original interviews for this book, all of them after Trump left office, after his second impeachment, in addition to trying to synthesize and analyze events and the record that was already existing. Uh, so, we, you know, people are going to be finding out new stuff about this presidency for decades to come. We're still writing books about Watergate and Nixon, right? But um, we felt that it was very important to have a one-volume you know, first crack at history. So let me invite you to keep going. Uh, either of you, there's there's been a lot of, you know, uh, many of the nuggets in, in your book uh, have been reported uh, for even people who haven't read them. So share with us something, something that was that yeah. was fresh but and then either, well, either surprised you or confirmed what you thought going in. Yeah, uh, thank you very much. And I, I thank you guys again for having us. I, it, it, it's, um, it, we learned a lot about events we thought we knew already and discovered how much more there was and we learned about events we didn't know anything about one of the most i think important ones was i think trump's war with his own generals 
the idea that he wanted to use the military for what the generals perceived to be his political purposes. And the generals who believe the United States military is supposed to be an apolitical force, not an instrument of power for a politician fighting back. And most uh, most uh, notably, the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, who was so upset at what Trump was doing in his mind that he wrote a resignation letter. Now, people reported at the time, we knew at the time there was a resignation letter that he had written and didn't submit. We found out after you know Trump left office, we got a hold of this resignation letter for the first time, and it's a real doozy. I mean, it's a remarkable document in which he said that the number one military officer in the country accuses his commander-in-chief of not subscribing to the beliefs that stand... America stands for, of, of being against the values that America went to war in World War II for. He says yeah. you're ruining the international wow. order. He says you're a destructive force to the country and I can't serve you. Now, wow. he doesn't end up submitting the resignation letter. What he ends up doing, telling his staff and telling the people around him, is I'm going to stay and I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight this president. Now, he doesn't mean disobey orders. You know, a lot of people in the military have discussed this. Like, where did Millie cross a line or not cross a line? In his mind, he wasn't disobeying legitimate legal orders. What he was trying to say is, I'm not going to let this military be used inappropriately, improperly, as a political force. And, it, it, and right up to the end, he was worried about that. And I think he was most, one of the most compelling figures in that presidency. So there's a lot of stories like that, I think, that were sort of known in general. And we managed, I think, bring a lot more to the, to the table. I read that letter. I, I read it in The New Yorker, right, in your excerpt. It's, it is an extraordinary letter. It's sort of shocking. It's the sort of thing that, that maybe you or 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 i might think or write but we aren't the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff he wrote it um chosen by trump yeah and i i do just to echo that i mean peter and i have both done you know three decades of reporting in washington as well as reporting overseas from moscow and other places i i would say that i never encountered uh in in some ways reporting that was more kind of mind-blowing to me than uh, understanding the true nature and depth of the concerns of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and by the way, the the other military chiefs as well. Uh, This was not partisan. This was not, you know, the stuff of cable news, right? Like, this is like, these are really hardcore, serious people who believed that the president of the United States was the most serious threat to national security in a way at that moment in time. And I want to, let's stick with military for a while because you did so much reporting on it. What you're describing strikes me as one of several potential constitutional crises that could have happened but didn't. And I'm having trouble wrapping my head around that. It's not just once, it's many times. So can... Let's start high level. Would you reflect on that? How close were we to a constitutional crisis during the Trump presidency? Yeah, it's so funny. In my bureau, uh, my bureau chief, Elizabeth Bumar, who is wonderful, had a sign on her desk that she put up when Trump took office, and it said, the country is, is not in a constitutional crisis. And we would, like, we would debate about when we would flip it. You know, does this count as a constitutional crisis or not? And I'm not sure that one's quite enough for a constitutional crisis. Today is a constitutional crisis. And you're right, because we pushed and tested the Constitution in ways for four years that we had never done before. Because President Trump came into office as the first president in our history without a day in public office or the military, not one day, he treated the presidency the way he did the Trump Organization, a family business with no shareholders, no board, no accountability other than what he himself wanted. And he believed the presidency was that. So he believed people ought to be able to take orders. If the military worked for him, he ought to do what he wanted. The Justice Department, if he wanted them to prosecute his enemies, doesn't matter if there's evidence, they should be doing that. If he wanted them to let his friends go who were committing crimes, they should do 
that too. We saw it again and again and again. And I think that that's what Susan was talking about, why January 6th is not an outlier. I mean, to understand January 6th, 2021, you have to understand January 20th, 2017, and every day in between, because it was all building to that moment. He was pushing, pushing, pushing every chance he got to see how far he could go until we got to the inexorable. Uh, exactly. And what do you make of the fact that... Because you said something very interesting, which is that Millie and others tried to distinguish between disobeying orders on the one hand and I can't remember how you put it, but trying to do the right thing on the other hand. They're trying to push back on what were bad orders or bad policies. Legal or illegal. The best morning routine for manifesting more money is an alpha you may be wondering what that is. It is a routine orders or bad policy. Legal or illegal. And I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to... I'm thinking of how we'll look at it 20 years from now. We, we didn't get there. It didn't happen. I think it didn't happen, if you know what I mean. And so why or how or what do you make of that? Well, a couple things. So first of all, there is this question still not fully defined about where we were weren't we in a constitutional crisis to my way of thinking that was a constitutional crisis and actually we remain in it because we have a situation where the leader of one of our two political parties uh and donald trump definitely remains the de facto leader of one of our two political parties has not accepted uh you know the constitutional norm of the transition of power and continues to defy in fact a lawful uh constitutionally mandated process of transition and to make that a litmus test for one of the two parties so in my view we are in a constitutional crisis as a result of that that we don't actually fully know how it ends uh and related to that is as far as trump and the military you know i think his testing of the boundaries throughout was a very interesting essentially applying the trump mo uh that he might apply to a real estate deal or to any one of his business dealings before and laying that on to america's national security the entire nuclear weapons uh apparatus and, and 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 so on because what he was doing and what we heard in interviews with numerous senior officials, and I should say that was what was interesting to me too. Millie's account has gotten a lot of attention in, in our book and in others. But what I think our book does that the other books haven't done yet is to show that that was a through line. Donald Trump was testing the military and they were responding in a, a similar way almost from the very beginning of the presidency. Joe Dunford was a much more low-profile predecessor uh, as chairman of the Joint Chiefs to Milley. Trump pushed him out early, ahead of time, but Dunford had the same concerns. Uh, And that shows, again, that it was Trump looking for the weaknesses in the institution, but he would stop short of giving an order. So it wasn't like Donald Trump, it's not a legal order if Donald Trump is sitting in the Oval Office at the Resolute Desk and he says, you know, you effing generals, and by the way, that's literally like a quote that he used, you're all effing losers, I want to get out of Afghanistan right now. Those are all things he said again and again and again. You effing generals, you won't listen to me. I would like to withdraw all um, military 
dependence from Korea now. I'm sick of this. We're getting ripped off, and I'd like okay. to do it. So he said that not once, not twice, again and again. Is that an, an order, a lawful order? No, not under our system of government. It is Trump's wish. He's probing and probing. The generals might then push back and say, well, sir, Mr. President, uh, you know, if we withdraw all of the military dependence, this actually happened in January 2018, and in some ways it was potentially as close as we came to setting in motion an actual war on the Korean Peninsula. Our national security leadership was completely worried about this because had Trump followed through and made it a legal order to withdraw all those dependents, that would have sent the message to Kim Jong-un in North Korea, we're about to attack you. And that could have led to a real war. So, you know, I think it was really a crisis, not a crisis averted. And the interesting aspect about, if I'm hearing you correctly, your opinion is, at various points he could have said, okay, we've discussed this and... I've decided we're pulling the dependence out of Korea, to use one example, and he didn't. Exactly. Any insight into why not? Well, in part, it's because some of the people around him slow walked him or tried to talk him out of things or, you know, found ways of, of circumventing him. You, you had a situation where you had, for instance, a national security advisor, John Bolton, who, when, when Trump wanted to do something he thought was reckless or unwise, would find allies on Capitol Hill. He would go to Congress and say, can't you stop him or go to overseas allies and work with overseas allies to try to talk or, or maneuver Trump out of things. So people were trying constantly to find ways of influencing him. Uh, good example, we, we see the Queen's uh, funeral yesterday. Well, when Trump went to see the Queen, he was very enamored of this. His mother was Scottish-born. Oh my gosh, the Queen. This is validating for him. But his staff wanted to use that opportunity to see if they couldn't nudge him a little bit on climate change. So his staff talked to Prince Charles or his people and asked Prince Charles, if then Prince Charles, now King Charles, if he wouldn't raise the issue with President Trump when they were there. And so he did. This is his own staff trying to influence Trump through other people because they figured he's more likely to listen to other people than he is to listen to us, which is often the case. <laughs> Although, by the way, in this yeah. case, right, <laughs> Trump comes back from his meeting or lunch or whatever it was with Prince Charles and, oh, my God, all I do is talk about climate change. So I didn't 100% get through. But that was what they were trying to do. Let me ask you one last question on the, on the military, and, and then we'll move on. What sense you're painting? It, it, it's, I don't know if you use these words, but you're suggesting that Trump saw the military as a, yet another example of the deep state. These, these yeah, the career absolutely. government officials who were who were against him. Yeah. Um, there's a conventional wisdom that the enlisted core of the United States military is heavily conservative and heavily Trump, if not MAGA. Um, and you're suggesting that that's certainly not true for the for the, the flag officers. But what's your sense of that conventional wisdom and what do you make of it? Yeah, I think you've you've hit on something that's been very interesting, especially as the reports about the division between Trump and his generals have become public over the last year and a half. Uh, there's a great alarm, I would say, at the, the leadership level of the Pentagon that uh, it's a purposeful strategy at this point in effect by Trump and his allies, political allies, to separate uh, the generals uh, and divide them from the rank and file of the military. And that, you know, that's part of why you see, you can tune in to Tucker Carlson. And he often is now doing segments on the woke generals uh, and criticizing the generals. And uh, it looks to many of them, uh, with whom I've had conversations, Talking that this is almost general. a purposeful uh. political 
campaign to, you know, of course, to tear down a, an institution that has enormous respect in American society at a time when many institutions, including, of course, the media, uh, do not. And, you know, one of the reasons we called the book The Divider was because this is absolutely Trump's playbook, whether it's uh, the military separate, dividing people, finding the fault lines and fissures in American society, even finding the fault lines and fissures within his own aides, his own family, and exploiting them. That is Trump's personal uh, MO, it strikes me, as well as his political uh, MO. To tell everyone about your interviews with him, what set the scene, the telephone, in person, why'd he do it, what was your reaction, as much as you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll be briefer than he was. Yeah, we'll be briefer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hopefully more truthful and factual. We, um, we, uh, look, I covered him for the Times for four years, Susan wrote about him for the New Yorker. I'd interviewed him a number of times in office, but we decided we would give a shot. Actually, he wanted to talk to us. He wanted to talk to authors, which is interesting because he knew it wasn't going to be, you know, some sort of sycophantic book or anything like that. Uh, he also knew, excuse me, that he probably wasn't going to read it, right? It, well, he would read parts of it, or people it. would read him parts of it. You know, in fact, when yeah, Chris read. Christie wrote well, his book, he sent it in the White House with, with, with uh, sticket notes on the pages he wanted Trump to read, which said nice things about Trump, ignoring the parts that said bad things about Trump and bad things about Jared. And Trump, it, it worked, by the way. When, when we went and talked to Maggie Hammer and I went and talked to Trump, we said, what do you think of that Chris Christie book? He said, oh, it's great. He said nice things about me. He said, well, you know, it said really crappy things about Jared. Yeah, but it said nice things about me. You know? <laughs> that's so that's true. So we went to see him twice after he left office in Mar-a-Lago in 2021 for this book. Um, he was willing to see us. We give him credit for that, obviously. Anybody who's willing to give an interview, we want to take an interview um, and hear his point of view. But he's a, he's a hard interview because he's not a reliable fact witness <laughs> right you can't somewhat understated you can't go there to write a history and try to get you know a factual account of an event that happened or whatever because it's going to be completely contradicted by everybody else in the room or he make maybe even contradicted by himself right okay, so he okay. contradicted himself between our first interview and our second interview the first interview we were asking about the vaccine for covid which should have been in his mind one of the biggest accomplishments he had right this is a pretty big deal this vaccine this early on after leaving office and he had taken it himself of course and we said are you going to do a public service announcement for that he said, yeah in fact they've asked me the biden administration they've asked me to do a public service announcement to talk to the people who are most resistant or concerned or skeptical and that would be his people so he said he's going to do that okay when we showed up again seven months later for our second interview so well, how come you never did that public service announcement you said you were going to do oh i never nobody ever asked me to do that <laughs> who, who told you that you told us that <laughs> you were our source and that's that's the, 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 the challenge of trying to interview him. So the, as Susan likes to say, it's, it's, it's a random, rambling kind of conversation that always comes back to whatever it is he wants to talk about. And it's usually not an answer to a question you specifically ask. It's often not a, a what does he say, a noun, a verb, and a period are not exactly in, in sequence there. So, um, but it is revealing at times of his mindset, right? What is he thinking about? He wants you to hear all about the stolen election, the rigged election. You can push back all you like and say, sir, you know, that's not true. It doesn't matter. 
he's got to keep on going. Um, and it just, uh, you know, it doesn't matter to him in some ways whether you're listening or not. He just wants to talk. <laughs> I'm having trouble now remembering which figure of the many who commented about him, who commented on his intellect. It was it was Comey who who commented on his intellect A lot of them did. or lack thereof. I think Comey said he thought moron. he was intelligent. Everybody. I'd like to know what you two think. <laughs> That's you because <laughs> you're alternating. <laughs> As I said, all the tough questions. Uh, you know what? Uh, it's You're hard to look inside wrong. someone's I'm mind. What I would say that's that's very striking uh, goes to this point about what Donald Trump knows, what he hitter. wanted to know, what he didn't know. Uh, what he didn't know would fill many books. And, uh, you know, he came to office not only uh, with a, without a single day of experience in government or the military, unlike any other president in American history, but it was his own staff uh, who uh, told us how shocked they were uh, when they started at the beginning of the administration in 2017 to understand actually just what that really meant. Uh, and uh, they're the ones who said, uh, there's an incredible quote in, in the first chapter uh, from a senior official in the White House saying, you know, he knew nothing about most things. Uh, he did not, he confused the Baltics and the Balkans. Uh, and by the way, he did that in a meeting with the leaders of the Baltic countries. <laughs> he did not know that it is Congress that under our constitution has the power to make war. Uh, he did not know that Finland was not a part of Russia. Uh, you know, and on and on and on the list goes. Uh, how much does it actually matter? Well, it actually matters a lot in the case of somebody whose supreme self-confidence uh, uh, meant that he did not actually care, right? Uh, you know, it's not like, well, I'm going to learn on the job. It said he didn't want to. He didn't. He wasn't interested in the facts, as we now, of course, all know all too clearly. And you know, so what does it mean? I think Trump did have a, a, an incredible, uh, call it a survival. Uh, mechanism, uh, instincts about people. I do think that he is very, one of his gifts Paranoid. is to identify the weaknesses in others and to exploit them very skillfully. Yeah, just like Putin. Uh, many people have asked us, it's certainly a theme of the book, uh, the enablers who surrounded buddy. Donald Trump and why did the people work Romance. for him? Well, one of the things is that Donald Trump was expert at surrounding himself with people who were dependent upon him, who never would have had the job if it weren't for him, uh, you know, or who had some character flaws or weaknesses that made uh, them susceptible to remaining in his influence. And that, you know, I, I wouldn't I don't think I'd characterize that as intelligence, but it's an extremely valuable skill, obviously. Yeah, he's a really good Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask a sort of a, a, an unusual or a warm and fuzzy question, but when we, when journalists interview people, we, we can't help but either like or dislike them. Sometimes. How did you feel about him? Well, we like you. <laughs> That's dodging the question. Yeah, it's dodging the question. I know. I mean, look, and I like both of you. <laughs> I mean, it's not our job to like or it's dislike, obviously, nasty. and it's it's we try as hard as possible to try to remain as detached and neutral as as we can. Um, he has this interesting quality in person where he tries to charm you, 
he his Susan says kind of a when we saw him kind of the cross between Napoleon and Elba at a banquet hall reader you know would you like a coke can I get you diet coke how's it going and in the middle of the first interview which was conducted in the lobby of Mar-a-Lago people kept coming by hey how you doing you know rigged election terrible elections going hey how's it going everything all right at one point walks in and says you're gonna come to the event later later right he says oh yeah I'll definitely be there she walks away and says what are things I have no idea <laughs> it's just he he has this sort of you know and some people find it charming. They, they will tell you that they think he is charming. And I think it's partly because his public persona is so bombastic, so uh, harsh, that when he is anything less than nasty to people in person, they find themselves like, oh my gosh, he didn't you know, bite my head off. Well, that's I, that would be my minor asterisk. I agree, absolutely. Like That definitely was our experience. I think it's the use of the word charming that I found. Uh, you know, I've heard that from many people over time. They would say, versions of many journalists would say, well, we interviewed Trump and we found him to be more to a person. I think that's not the right word. Uh, and I it's think not my word. I'm saying yeah. No, I know. I, I so I was a little surprised because I had heard many accounts, you know, where they said, "Well, in person, he's not the." So guess what, guys? I mean, my take is that he's exactly in person what you think he's like. Okay, you know, like he's not at a rally. He's not like shouting hate speech at you. Okay, so but with that caveat, like. He's, it was like listening to a live action version of his Twitter feed, uh, you know, including like random insults at random people just thrown into the conversation. Uh, you know, so we would just be asking about something and be like, Mitch McConnell is the stupidest person ever, you know, just like randomly thrown in, you know. And so it is true, like he would offer, you know, would you like a Diet Coke or, um, you know, he then insisted that we uh, stay for dinner at Mar-a-Lago, which was a very interesting experience because he does he's not inviting you to have dinner with him and that is what i found to be fascinating and revealing about trump right like it goes to this point you can't think of who is it even his friends right almost all presidents including richard nixon uh right you know they had a friend or two you know bb robozo or whatever you can't name a friend a personal friend of donald trump so donald trump says thank you for the interview after the first one i'd like you to stay for dinner on the patio Great. Then he says, I can get you a good table. You know, so there's a whole stick, right? So they take us to a table. It was a good table. It was a very nice table, but it's just me and Peter sitting there. And then he goes down and he performs at the charity cocktail event that Kimberly Guilfoyle, that he had no idea who it was. But he just, it's a show and he literally, he, um, there's like women in hula skirts doing a hula dance. Uh, and then after that show, he comes and he welcomes them and they clap. Then he comes upstairs and he makes a grand entrance on the Mar-a-Lago patio and all of the paying customers, uh, interrupt their dinners and they stand up and they applaud him every night and it's like he's like waves at them as if it's a crowd of thousands and then here's the very revealing part he sits down by himself at dinner with the two young aides that he's brought with him from the white house and he spends the whole time the eating table, dinner, a red velvet rope by the way as if someone's gonna take it and he he just talks on the phone during the dinner with the two aides sitting there and then when we leave you know he like puts the phone on hold and he 
smiles like this and he says like you know did you have a good time did you have a good time where going so <laughs> let's, let's talk about a larger group of people than the the hundreds or thousands cheering him at mar-a-lago which is and you know where i'm going with this which is the 74 million people who voted for him in Idiot. november of 2020 they largely knew about his uh, most of what's in your book they just didn't know the great details that, that you have in your book and yet they voted for him um Why? what do you make what do you make of that good question how should we think about them well it looks important to think about that because this is this is our country and and they feel very strongly many of them about him they like him they like his policies they like in some cases they like his personality now sometimes it's different right you hear from some people look I wish he didn't tweet so much, or I wasn't. I wish he wasn't kind of a jerk. But I like tax cuts, or I, you know, I don't like socialism, and I'm, I'm against abortion, or I'm, you know, whatever. Um, if you are uh, against abortion, he is the most successful president in the history of the country, right? He put three justices on the Supreme Court, and Roe v. Wade was overturned. Every other Republican president failed to accomplish what that part of the country wanted to accomplish, so he did. So some people, it's transactional. I don't like him, but he's doing what I think is right policy-wise. And then there are other people who, who couldn't care less about policy. It's not about economics or, or anything else. It's, it's sometimes, I mean, obviously, there's a racial element to this. In some cases, he has tapped into a great racial resentment and divide in this country, and he has given liberty to people who responded to Obama's presidency with a sense of, you know, this great replacement theory and, oh, my gosh, they're taking over, blah, blah, blah. He's played into that. And then there's a lot of other people who 